0: Hello, and welcome to the 4 Press Podcast, presented by GolfWeek.com. I'm your host, David Dusek, and this week, my guest is Jason Gore. You know Jason Gore as the guy who nearly won the 2005 U.S. Open at Pinehurst. He was a Cinderella story. He was paired up in the final round, in the final group, with Retief Goosen, and then shot 84. It obviously didn't work out for Jason Gore, but there is a lot more to Jason Gore's career than one bad day at the U.S. Open. And in our conversation, we talked about his role on the 1997 Pepperdine team that won the national championship, and his role in the 1997 Walker Cup team that was victorious as well. And we talked about his new role as the USGA's first Senior Director of Player Relations, a job that is absolutely perfect for one of the truly good guys in golf. Get stronger, get longer, and end pain with Golf Forever. Created by Justin Leonard, and co-author of the Younger Next Year Backbook, Dr. Jeremy James, Golf Forever is the Take Anywhere online golf fitness program that helps you build a body prime for golf. It's simple, safe, and it works. At home, in the gym, on the golf course, Golf Forever's easy-to-follow exercises, warm-up routines, and course management videos will help you play your best pain-free. Sign up today at GolfForever.com and use promo code GOLFWEEK for a free 14-day trial. Appropriate buttons are now pushed, the 4 Press Podcast has begun, and Jason Gore is my guest. And Jason, before we even get into this, I want, you to, um, I want you to get up, look out the closest window that you can see, and describe for people who are listening what, what is meeting your eyes. Paint me a word picture for a second.
2: Gosh, you're going to make me stand up. Um, okay. The demands. Let's see. I, uh, I'm looking over Spanish Bay golf course right now. Which hole? I don't know. A green
0: one. <laughs> They're all pretty out I'm there, at. too. That's I, the... I, just, I got here
2: last night, and uh, I don't know where I'm at. I haven't quite got my bearings yet. So, But it, it, whatever it is, it, it's, it's pretty awesome.
0: So Pebble Beach might be the greatest place, if you're a golfer, in the whole wide world. The golf is filled with a lot of amazing places, and we'll get into it. You've played a bunch of them, but I'll share with you a story. The first real boondoggle that I ever got that's worth remembering when I got into golf writing in the golf business was in 2003, I was asked to write a story about the most expensive at the time, golf school that a normal person could attend. And it worked out to be the golf school at Pebble Beach and obviously Spanish Bay being a part of the Pebble Beach family and, and resort and such like that. And I met and went through four days with Laird small and Dan Pascarillo. And it was lessons on the range at Spyglass Hill. And then we played each of the resort courses in the afternoon as a playing lesson. And uh, we stayed, they put us up at Spanish Bay. And I remember they had, this is again, like 2003, those big Bose stereo systems and the beautiful rooms and you're overlooking, you know, the golf course. And I just remember coming back after each day, you've got that sort of glow of having played those magnificent places. And, the, they had like the piano music on that bow stereo and there was like a little bottle of wine that was hanging out there. I'm like, yeah, this is a good life. I have actually stepped into a great big heaping pile of Christmas, you know, with, with that, with that trip. And yeah. it's uh it was a pretty good deal. And I would imagine everybody when they show up at Pebble beach has that same feeling. You've been there a bunch. Do you still just get goosebumps when you realize that you're a pebble?
2: Oh yeah. I mean, it's, this is just an incredible place. Like, Especially for me, I mean, I, I always joke with, with Megan, my wife, that this what happened here was the greatest day of her life, um, because we got married on the 18th green at Pebble. Of course. So you could see where the irony of that one is. I mean, she was, it was a very poor decision, but I got very lucky. Um, but I have to remind her how lucky she is.
1: Absolutely. She
2: but um, but yeah, I mean, I won calham at Pebble and Spanish and... I don't think I've actually played Spanish since then, which was '97. So, kind of excited to, to tee it up here tomorrow and and, and see what it's like. But um, yeah, it's just a special place. I mean, I don't want to get all the, uh, theological on you, mm. but even if you don't believe in God, you got to like drive 17 mile drive and realize that wow, this just didn't happen.
0: It's it's so a, it's it, an it's unbelievable a, thing.
2: It, it's gorgeous, and it, the weather's supposed to be great up here this week. You know, no rain. It might be a little, you know, low 60s, high 50s, but you know, sunny skies. It's going to be a great week, and I'm up here for the TaylorMade Pebble Beach Invitational. One. I actually got into RSM this morning. Wow! Uh, on tour, but I, I, I called this morning. Said, I'm not in yep. any tournament shape. Yep. You know what I mean, like game wise. I, well, it's, I'm,
0: I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure you're, I'm sure you're grateful. Who actually yeah, I'm sure you're grateful for the opportunity and for the thought. I know that you know you have played there on a sponsored exemption recently, but part of you also wants to make sure that you can represent yourself and represent the people who made that decision well. if you're not sure if you can really do yeah. that, then you don't necessarily want to take that spot.
2: yeah, I mean, I got in on my number as a past champion, so
0: mm-hmm.
2: um you know it's a big field. it's, it's two golf courses there and, and you know that that golf tournaments so great because it gives so many people an opportunity to play and and I just, I just know better. I, 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 the last thing I want to do is—I'm so happy where I'm at right now,
1: mm-hmm.
2: being with the USGA, and and you know, kind of switching gears in life a little bit. That the last thing I want to do is go play well and and throw like a wrench into the system.
0: <laughs> just like, really screw it up by you know, playing you know, good golf. Y-
2: you know what I mean? It'd, it'd be great, you know. But listen, I'm a realist. I know those kids are so good, and those players are so good, and they work so hard. And I don't.
0: Well. Not, I want. I, know, put, so I, I, I want to put. I want to put that stuff real. a little bit. I want to put that stuff a little bit on pause. But I want to go back to just when. When was the first time you played at Pebble Beach?
2: Oh my goodness, probably ninety-five. I'm guessing. Okay. And it, and it was for California Amateur, and that was back when we teed off at like six a.m. And it was just the, the greatest time. And anybody who wants to come up here, you know, anybody's like, oh, I've never played Pebble. I go, you have to play twice. Absolutely, because you're, yep. the first time your first time you're going to play it, you're going to go and just be absolute awestruck by what's going on around you. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll be like, "Oh my gosh, this is where Watson chipped in. This is where Kite chipped in in '92." You know, especially if you're like a, a golf historian, sure. But you'll just look around and be like, "Oh my gosh, this is the most beautiful thing." And then the second time you play, you can actually. Focus on the golf course and the cool things it. that go exactly. on. You can play it. Exactly. You can play it. Yeah, yeah. You can you can recognize the golf course and see like, okay, this is this is where you're supposed to hit it, or this is how you're supposed to do this. But you know, the first time you walk up on 70, you don't even realize you're playing golf. You're just kind of like looking out and like, oh my gosh, there's like seals and sea lions and
1: mm-hmm.
2: and birds, and it's just it's it's an overwhelming, you know. It's overwhelming to the senses.
0: It is. And I spent uh, the first day of the U.S. Open this year, which obviously was held at Pebble Beach, I spent hanging out on 7. As you're looking down the little hill, I was just to the left, sitting there sort of in sort of the tall grass. It was chilly. I brought a thermos of coffee out there with me and uh, some binoculars and made a day of basically watching guys hit pitching wedges and gap wedges about 100 yards and just being beguiled by this little hole and the swirling winds. And I came to sort of understand watching guys that the updrafts that, that are created by the the surf hitting the rocks below and sort of create, can really play havoc on the way the guys are hitting shots. But this thinking that, that that space is there all the time that, that people are enjoying that shot. And it's again, like not to get overly theological, as you sort of said, but it is one of those places where, um, you just sort of look around and you can't picture how it could have been created any better. It's just, just any better. And, and I remember the first time I played it thinking on the first home, like, wow, there's a lot of houses. I don't remember watching the turn with all the houses on one and two. You're like, okay, three, the tee shots kind of fun. And then once you get to about four green and it just opens up and everything is out there and you're like, oh my gosh. And everybody just glows. You just have this glow about you until you walk off 18. And it's uh. It's a pretty un- unbelievable thing. I would imagine for a California guy such as yourself, it's even more special um you went for school to I know University of Arizona and then you transferred to Pepperdine. did you guys ever play at Pebble? where are some of the places when you were at Pepperdine that you would have played as your home course in some of the tournaments that you were you were playing around
2: well we we played at uh you know Pepperdine's down in Malibu, which mm-hmm. is about four and a half five hours Long four trip, hours maybe here for, for, for sure. Yeah, but um, we came up and played in a, t- a couple tournaments at Olympic. We never played a college tournament at Pebble, but um, but I mean, just like I said, we play California amateur here every year, and this was the coolest spot to go. Like you had to qualify for California because you knew that you were going to play pebble, and <laughs> part of the fun of, part of the fun of winning matches was you got to play Pebble again. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was the cool part. You know, it's like if you ever lost a match, you're like, dang, I got to go home now? Like
0: that was, I can't play yeah. Pebble again tomorrow? That was the kicker to my piece, so, that okay. one that I referred to in 2003, is that uh, as you go through, you know, one of the best days of your life is going to be the day that you go out there and you get to play at Pebble Beach the first time or the t- eighth time or whatever. Like, you're just, it's as good as it gets. One of the most sad days on any golfer's calendar is if you have to hand back that room key at, at the lodge at Pebble or at Spanish Bay or any any of the properties and stuff like that, because you now are starting the quest to try and get that room key back, you know, from that point on, when you hand it yeah. over, all you want is that room key back so that you can go back and play some more loops and just experience everything that that place has to offer.
2: Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a very special place. I mean, just like last night I got here and I got here about seven o'clock. I played in the straight down fall classic on San Luis Vizal, which is, another great event It's so much fun. I play with Kevin Marsh, my old college teammate, and then Mm -hmm. he won the U.S. Mid-Amp in 05. But, you know, like I'm sitting here in bed and I'm flipping through the TV channels and like Groundhog Day came on. I'm like, this is awesome. Like, I love that movie. I, I turn the fireplace on in my room and I'm just sitting there and I'm like, I don't think I've ever been more comfortable in my life.
0: It's as good as it gets. You
2: just, yeah, you just, everything just all like the air is so fresh and it's just, you can hear the, the waves crashing faintly if you open the,
0: mm-hmm.
2: if you open the door and it's just like, it, it's such a breath of fresh air. It's just, everything kind of just goes away.
0: Yep. So as a guy from the Los Angeles area, what made you at first decide you wanted to go to Arizona to play in school? Cause I would have imagined you had a lot of opportunities to play collegiately at, at different places. What was it about Arizona at that point that, that drew you there?
1: Well, they
2: had won the national championship in '92, which was my senior year in college, and David Bergogno was there. I mean, they had they had a great team; they were number one in the nation, and you know, Ted Purdy was going there, who was a top right, you know, recruit, and and it was just an unbelievable opportunity. And and you know, when you get recruited by the number one school in the nation, mm-hmm. you you kind of have to give it a good hard look, and. And the other thing was, is I didn't get recruited by UCLA or USC. It was really weird. I don't know if they just didn't think I was good enough, or really they knew too much about me. <laughs> I don't know. But like, we're not getting that. Maybe. Guy. <laughs> uh yeah, we're not getting. God, no, we don't want him on our team. Um, or or whatnot. Maybe I don't know, but but I don't know if I would have gone anyway. Right. But you know, when you get recruited by, like I said, the number one team in the nation, you have to seriously take a look at it.
0: And eventually and as you knew,
2: and knew that, that Berganio and Manny Zerman were coming back and, you know, we would basically take the spot of, you know, the, this is funny, the number five man, Jim Furyk.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'll take so, Furyk's spot. He's cause he's, he's leaving. So I guess I can slide into that guy who's basically a future hall of famer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that
2: guy's one. number five I and mean, he's got a funky golf swing. He's probably not going to amount to anything. I yeah. can, I can, I can beat him. Right. We're going to be better now. And, you know. Yeah. I think we're all wrong
0: on that one, <laughs> yeah well, I was gonna say, so after he decides he finally doesn't want to be number two in the world behind Tiger anymore, hes you know goes out and becomes a Ryder cup captain and' is, yeah, he does does pretty good for himself, but yeah, yeah he, I, I think it'd be it would be difficult he to turned say out
2: it, to be a nice player,
0: yeah nice player if 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 that's the program, it's like if you're a basketball player and you get a call from Duke or Kentucky, you can't not take that pretty seriously what What was the thing that eventually made you decide to come back to California and play for Pepperdine?
2: I was just a nineteen year old homesick kid. To be honest with you, Mm -hmm. I mean, I just, it wasn't my speed and Rick LaRose was great. Um, I just, I just didn't want to be away. And, you know, it's funny that I ended up traveling for a living and spending (laughs) weeks on end on the road. But, um, you know, I just, I, I was unhappy and it really wasn't anything to do with the program or the school. It just, it was just me.
0: Well, I mean, I you, wish
2: I could blame something, and I just a kid.
0: I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I think a lot of people, as you say, sort of aspire to being around great players, great golf courses, great coaches, and all those facilities, and and that's 100 percent understandable. One of the things about college is you you grow up and you sort of learn to understand who and what you are, and who and what you are. There's nothing wrong with being a golfer in Southern California who just chooses to stay in that area. There's nothing wrong with that, but maybe it, it took. The experience of of going to Arizona, to make you sort of realize that, and that's that's just part of the deal. A, a lot of people go through things where they are from one area, leave, and come to sort of understand or realize that it was pretty good back home. And yeah, I, yeah. I'm going to choose to go back there. I would imagine because Southern California has been home base ever since, right?
2: Yeah, until recently.
0: Yeah. So <laughs> it's uh, it's it makes total sense to me. What was what was your experience like? At, at Pepperdine
2: it was the greatest place in the world I mean I, like I said I wanted to go to UCLA but I didn't get released from what was then Pac-10 I didn't get released from my scholarship I mean I had a full ride to Arizona and everything was you know life was life was supposed was yeah. should have been good yep but it, it just it wasn't and then I wanted to go there and I had to sit out a year and and I knew, I knew the guys on Pepperdine team because they were all Southern California guys like Mike Walton, Kevin Marsh, and a few others. And, um, I went on, they actually kind of went to like a, I wouldn't even call it a recruiting trip, but Walton's like, Hey, dude, we're having a, you know, we're having just a little golf team get together, semi little party. Come on down. I'm like, okay, cool. So I got in the car and I was like, you know, 30 miles away from my house and I went down there and I loved everybody on the team. They were awesome. They were great guys. they got it. It was you know it was about it was about golf, but it was also about just like you know I, I always use this line from like goodwill hunting. Mm. Um, They'd have taken a baseball bat to anybody's head for each other, you know, like they they all loved each other they were they were tight, they were all got along, and they all tried to help each other with their games and school and everything like it was it was what I was looking for, and I didn't even know it. And, um, I signed there and then we had a a guy who was supposed to go to San Jose, San Jose that got, you know, something happened in his, with his scholarship and recruiting and we ended up getting it. It was Andy Walker who turned out, you know, he's, you know, he's a great teacher. He, He was on the big break and he just turned out to be a super beneficial part of our team and he was great and he's still a great friend. And it's just like stuff like that happens. And we all just, we all, Played as a
0: team. And um, and obviously it all comes together in 97. What, what do you remember about the 97 NCAA championships?
2: I just remember that that we were all, we were just there. Like we had, John Guyberger was our coach. And Kevin Marsh had just graduated and he was playing the Hooters tour. And he just happened to be in Chicago. And John Guyberger somehow got chicken pox at 30, 29, 30 years old or whatever he was, mm-hmm. you know, strangest thing ever. So he got sequestered to his room. So we had to call, I remember we had to call back to Malibu and find out if Kevin could be our, you know, interim coach for the week. Cause we we're the,
1: coach.
2: Right. Was the only person there. So we had like nobody to drive the van. <laughs> we we're all, you know, 22, 23. Um, but, um, Yeah, so it somehow got approved. I don't know how, what the process was or whatever, but you know, Kevin was our coach and he had just graduated the year before. Um, and we went out and we just, we all played really solid. Nobody else, you know, we didn't play great, great, but, um, I think I was leading, I know I was leading going into the last hole. Mike Walton finished third. Andy finished top 10. I I believe I, I could be wrong. And Mark Matson, who's I'm actually going to have lunch with, he's up. He's the head pro up here at Pasadera, um Played great, and Paul Meyer played played well. And he was our fifth, and we just we wanted to win for each other, mm-hmm. and it wasn't about us. We, you know, it was about the school, and it was for each other, and we put ourselves in that position, and we pulled it off. We pulled it off pretty, pretty well. I mean, I remember I. I I drove in the fairway bunker on 18, laid up, and had like seven iron into the par five at Conway Farms, which now we're kind of familiar with. Now that the BMW there. Yeah. And Kevin came up to me, and I go, Kevin, um, how we looking? He goes, You guys got a a seven shot lead. (laughs) And the first thing I thought, I think I looked at him. I said, Well, I don't think I'm going to make an 11. (laughs) And I kind of like giggled and backed off. (laughs) <laughs> and then I plugged it into the bunker. I, I, I kind of caught the wind, plugs under the face of the bunker. I 11, chop it out over the green.
0: 11 is back in play.
2: <laughs> and, yeah, you know, 11 going quickly back in play. I'm like, oh, dear God, just please, like, get in the hole somehow. <laughs> and so I, I made seven on the last hole, and I had a one-shot lead going in, and I ended up missing the playoff by one. And, you know, the the guys were kind of, like, looking at me like, we know we just won the national championship, but he just made seven what, to lose. The, How do we do it? And I looked up and I I looked at him. I'm like, did we win? And they're like, yes. I'm like, well, come on. Like, what this do we is what, this, like rush, but let, let, yeah, let's do this. I don't care. Like this was, this was about us. And, yeah. And, um,
0: that's class, you know,
2: it wasn't until like two or two or three weeks later when I realized like, dang it, you know, cause then, I, and then I thought like, did this hurt my Walker cup chances Did this, you know, but, but for even to this day, it was probably the best seven I ever made because I learned so much from it, and we still won. Um, and it was just, it was just a, an unbelievable time to spend
0: with them. That's that's great. Do you? I mean, now that we, colleg, collegiate golf is obviously Golf Week's covered it for a long, long time. It's been a big part of what we do, but collegiate golf is getting to be a much bigger deal. You watch Golf Channel now, and a lot of times they'll put a college logo on the coverage next to guys' names on the leaderboard. There are a lot more people and a lot more outlets that are going to the NCAA championships and to other collegiate events. W- what would you have thought, you know, low these many years ago that college golf is getting to be a big deal? You know, that national signing day now is not just football and basketball players. It's still most of them, but but there are a lot of golfers that are signing big things as well. I mean, it's, it's gotten to be such a bigger deal than it was in the mid and late 90s when you were a part of it.
2: Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was actually the early 90s, but it's okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm being kind. <laughs> I'm being kind. Whole, <laughs> thank you pal um i think it's great i i think it's 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 making such a big difference now because these kids are coming out of college and basically coming out of junior golf so much more groomed yeah than we were you know so so now you're getting guys that you know you get the auction that are coming out that are that are you know the, the young kids that are ready to play golf mm-hmm. and uh I think somebody wants to clean my room, but leave me alone. Um, <laughs>
0: sorry. We have all these um, – let's talk about your first world problems. I'm sitting here doing a podcast and someone wants to clean my room. You're going to have to wait, people. <laughs>
2: Don't judge
1: me. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. But, yeah, um, I agree. I hear that a I lot, that, that, I, that, the, that, the, that the, the, the systems that are in place in college and that the junior golf systems, whether it's AJGA stuff or whatever, like kids are just more ready to play at a higher level. And, and it's almost like they're, they and their games are more mature – than they would have been 20, 30 years ago. Is that correct?
2: That is completely correct. I mean, there's so much more information, you know. It's like from track man to, to coaching to nutrition to workout regimes. I mean, I just think their bodies are are so much better trained and, and more advanced. And, and you know, the, the, their brains, are, oh, even now, like sports psychologists, like these kids working with I mean, Tiger was the anomaly when he had, uh, what was it, Jay Brown, well, was that who? Was
0: that who it was? When when he had hey, he when he was he had, he had conditioning coaches. Yeah, Tiger was Tiger was from the early part. You know, once he got into college and certainly went afterwards. Physical training and conditioning was a huge part of his regimen. Like that was as much as he was doing, focusing as much on that as he was on his swing.
2: Yeah, and that, we didn't do that back then. I mean, like here's a small example of, of what I will always remember. I think I got my card in 2000. We had to go to rookie orientation. And Kirk Triplett was our speaker. And the last thing he said was, Welcome to the PGA Tour, where you're going to play against the best players on the, in the world on their home golf courses. Go get them, guys. And it was like, it, 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 Oh, gosh. Like, what am I stepping into? Am I ready for this? And, you know, when I came out and I was like 23 or four. like, I wasn't supposed to be good. Well, you know, like, it was the yeah. guys in their late 30s and 40s who were the, the, the accomplished? They knew what to do. They knew where to go, how to do it, and why to do it. And, you know, we just didn't know what was going on.
0: Did it, so, really, did it really take you until 2005 to, to have everything sort of click and be like, Oh, this is why I do it. This is why I go here. This is why I do this. It, it seems like you were around. You turned professional. Um, a lot of people may not realize it, but I believe you still hold the record. For the most wins at that time, it was the Nationwide Tour, but now, obviously, the Corn Ferry Tour. You won seven times, if I'm not mistaken, out there. Um, but it it just took you a while to sort of have some things fall into place, didn't it? Yeah,
2: I mean, it's kind of like Crash, I'm the Crash Davis of golf, I guess. I don't know. I mean, the <laughs> That's most a, minor league home runs, You, but.
0: If you quote one more of my favorite movies, then we're just going to have to take this. <laughs> this I mean, between... Between Major League and, uh, you know, all this other stuff, you're, just, you're hitting all the right spots here, Jason, but but please continue. Go ahead.
2: We need to hang out. Maybe after this, you and I can get an apartment. There's yeah. another great movie line, well. but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I don't know. I think I just kind of got to the point where I just felt comfortable being who I was. I didn't have to feel like I was had to be somebody else or be like anybody else. And yep. I just kind of got to the point where I'm just like you know what this is what I do and then after I went on tour I went right back to it again I'm like cool, gosh now I'm a tour winner now I need to be this and I was like what are you doing now that I look back on it I'm like you're an idiot
0: So well, I, yeah I mean
2: you know s- it was good enough to win it may have not have been good enough to be number one in the world but I would have gotten mine well and you, I
0: kind of did and, yeah you got you got yours I mean for example like I'll, when I mentioned the year for example 2005 what's the first thing that comes in your mind U.S. Open. Yeah. I mean, I know it didn't finish the way that you had wanted it to finish, but there are a lot of golfers that will never get to that spot where you were on Sunday to begin with. Um, when you think back, is that a positive memory? Is that a frustrating memory? Is it both? What 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 do you recall about Pinehurst?
2: Um, I've always had a way in my career, even – the, when you face adversity, there's two ways to look at it. You can look at it as positive or negative. And even in '97, when I doubled the last whole a's I turned it into a positive. I remember calling like, I remember calling Eddie Marins, who is the hey, who's well, who's the pro emeritus now at Bel Air, who's, yep. who I kind of grew up taking lessons from. Yep. Um, you know, once once a month or something like that. I remember calling him and say, uh, Mr. Marins, how do I take this and become better? Hmm. And he really helped me out, and I had a great summer in 97 after that. I think I won Pacific Coast Amateur and you know, won the Ventura City Amateur by by 17 shots in a three-day tournament. You know, just stuff like, like, I took the negative and I tried to learn from it and make it a positive. So after shooting 84 in the final round of the U.S. Open, I thought, well, you can either, you know, hang your head, put the tail between your legs, and never to be heard from again. Or you can look at it and be, all right, well, I've seen the worst. Even if Mm. I'm in the last group of the U.S. Open again, guess what? I've been there. Yeah. So it it doesn't matter if I'm in the last group of a nationwide tour event or a PGA tour event. I've seen worse than this. And this is what I did. And now I've learned what I do and why I do it under pressure. And... I got better from it. I, I was never afraid to be in the last in the last group because I knew that I'd seen it. I'd seen way worse than this, and this was nothing. I could handle it.
0: I've always wanted to ask you this. Have, at some point during that round on Sunday, um, Tiger Woods and Michael Campbell are sort of doing their thing, and Campbell obviously holds on and, and wins his major. At some point, you're you realizing today's not my day, and it's not going to happen for me, and that's – frustrating and that kind of sucks. And Retief Goosen, who's playing alongside you, probably has the same realization probably around the same time. Was there ever a moment where the two of you sort of are walking down the fairway or waiting on a a tee box, you look at each other and just be like, damn, and just sort of look at each other. And I I would imagine that at some point there has to be a mutual acknowledgement that it's not either of us, it's not going to happen for either of us. And this kind of sucks.
2: Yeah. I mean, that, that kind of, that came, you know, right around the time of the turn yeah. that we just kind of, like, looked at each other and just kind of shook our heads. But, you know, I think the problem that both of us, looking back on it now, was, especially at Pinehurst, but any United States Open golf course, I think both of us went out and tried to win.
1: Mm.
2: And you can't do that at, at an Open, at the U.S. Open. So, you know, you just have to kind of keep playing and hope to, hope to, to God that when you finish, you have the lowest score.
0: So you can't you can't, you can't be result going. oriented. What you're saying, basically, to U.S. Open, it's got to no, be the process, no, the process, man. the process, until they tell you you're not playing more yeah, holes.
2: Yeah, you just you just keep hitting the right shots, especially at Pinehurst on a Sunday. I mean, you know how how, so hard. how those green complexes are, and so hard. And, and you know, it's like I remember like hitting one shot. I think it was on Friday. I smashed a drive down number eight, and I had like 70 yards, and this was like 490. Yeah. Or, you know, five twenty, I don't remember what it was, but it was something like I hit it past the crosswalk out. I remember Jeff Hall saying, like, we made sure that thing wasn't in play. And I hit it past the crosswalk by like fifteen yards, right? So just smashed one. And I got up there and I had like seventy something yards. I don't know. I'm making up. Mm-hmm. It was it was a lob wedge, whatever it was. And my cat the pin was back left and my caddy goes, All right, hit this sixty yards and thirty feet out to the right. And I'm like what? Seriously, Lewis, like, what are you talking about? It's seventy. It's right there, and you can see everything. And you can see, like, yeah, I, I could see like five feet right of it. He goes thirty feet right in sixty yards, and I'm like, okay, I hit it out there thirty feet right in sixty five yards or whatever it was. You know, kind of hit it sixty and ran, and I walk up there and look around it. And I'm like, that's why you're here. Yeah, you know, like that, and, and that changed on Sunday where you know I started to aim at more. Whole locations, and it's just a disaster, disaster hit. But I think what really was, we both walked off 16 after, you know, I'm sorry, 15, the part three. And you have to kind of walk back to the
1: 16th, Yeah.
2: And I looked at Gratif, and he looked at me, and we're kind of walking to each other. And Gratif's super quiet. He's a great yeah. guy, but he just doesn't say much, right? And um, he looks at me, he goes, You ever played cricket? <laughs> I look at him, I'm like, what and he I go well, well obviously i've never played cricket but like I've, I've been overseas and watched it on tv he goes that's the only thing we're doing well today is having a great game of cricket because we have so many offers. and i looked at him i said you want well you want to play the last last three holes for five bucks and he laughed like it was like george carlin was on stage like he just said he goes sure yeah. So I four put the last hole <laughs> just to put a cherry on top. Oh my gosh! On the front of the green, I knocked it by and knocked it by and knocked it by, and then finally like, jiggled one in on the last hole for double and shoot eighty four or whatever. And <clears throat> I lost five bucks. So I see him at, at uh, Disney afterwards. You know, like four or five weeks later, I had won all, You know, i won four times since then, and I see his bag. At Disney, you were allowed to have cards because there was multiple golf courses and right. during the practice round. So, I see his card parked out the front of a TaylorMade trailer, and I parked and walked up to TaylorMade trailer, handed him, and he started laughing. And I'm like, "I'm going to get that back." <laughs> and he goes, "Any time, right?" Just you know, like I, I really like Ratib; he's a great guy. And, he, um,
0: he is, yeah. He's a he's a good so guy. He's quiet. Together. He's just quiet by nature. He doesn't have that big outgoing personality, but he is a good guy.
2: But you can get him in certain scenarios where he, he'll talk and he's, he's, he's great, he's awesome. So we get paired together in the final round of the players championship for next year, and I said, "Can I get my five bucks back? Can I have a chance to get my five bucks back?" And he goes, "Sure." So I shoot 67, he shoots 69, and he still hasn't paid me.
0: I take back every so thing I, just I don't even about.
2: want him to pay me right now. Yeah, I don't even want him to pay me because I'd rather it ruins a good story. Well, you know it's like the he yeah. owes me five bucks
0: you you still got so you you're still 5 years away from being able to go out there with him on the championship. You're 45, right? Yep. Yeah, so let's just let that stew a little bit. We'll just let that one hang around and just go kind of to mellow out and stew. Um so after that, you had some success. You were on the PGA Tour for a while and then you know, you you started having some troubles at some points, you know, and I I, I want to sort of ask you if you think and you and I talked a little bit, um, Jason and I were both members of a panel at the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference a few years ago. And um, it was that was sort of where he and I got to know each other a little bit. And we talked about how the, the game was changing. And you, you mentioned here a little bit, you know, the the athleticism, the kids who were coming on and becoming new card members. It's just a different breed. At some point, did your game no longer translate to the way that the golf courses at week to week PGA Tour events were set up? You were never a short hitter by any means. You had a lot of skills and things, but at, at some point, things started to not work out for you. And I'm just always been curious if if the game that was sort of required now um, to be successful on tour just didn't come instinctively or didn't come for for you the way that you played.
1: Yes and
2: no. I mean, I kind of went through a couple of injuries. I mean, I had shoulder surgery in for sure. 2010. Yep. And I never really kind of got it back, but I also started like try to change my golf swing to get some of the, what my instructor at the time said, wobbles out, which was the, the wobbles is how I created speed. And, you know, and my golf swing looked beautiful on camera, but like this, this thing that I'm working with called my, my body, which should be donated to science fiction. It didn't work. Yep. And, um, like I just kinda of lost what made me good. Like I, I think I led the tour in total driving, which is distance and accuracy for at least one year, maybe two. Like I think Charles Warren and I were the only two that ever led the tour in total driving and lost our cards. So, um wow. I just kinda of, I, I went the opposite direction of what I should have been doing, and that was just you know, going out there and smashing driver and, and not having, you know, I mean, I had a good swing, but there it was, it was mine. And, you know, I tried to make it to where it looked pretty and all this stuff. And instead of, you know, I kind of came over the top of it a little bit, but I somehow like flattened the club to get it under and smash it, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But, um, you know, all of a sudden now I tried to, you know, flatten it out, get my shoulder, my shoulder plane more steep and keep my arms down. And, you know, I'm a, i am I got a, I got a big old body and, not very long arms and it just, it, it, it didn't work for me. I'm not saying it doesn't work for everybody, but, um, Did you feel a pressure or did you, kind of feel
0: a, did you feel a need to have a swing that in some ways looked like, I mean, we talked about Retief and the guy's got a, a swing that most people would, would dream about. Um, but, but, but did you feel pressure to sort of have a swing that looked good and didn't just function well?
2: No, I just thought I'd be better. Okay. That's all I did. I didn't really care how it looked, but I thought if I got in the right positions and got on the right plane and did, you know did this and did that, that I would I would become more consistent and stuff like that But you know what? I didn't. I knew I knew how to swing my golf swing, and that was it. I mean, my golf stick wasn't terrible. I just kind of like tuck it a little in, kind of you know shifted it out, got it back in front of my body, and and created lots of lots of speed, like lots of arm speed.
0: And, so not to, um, so not to play devil's advocate, I would look at it as that your golf swing was good enough to get you to the PGA Tour, it was good enough to get you a win on the PGA Tour. Um it was good enough to do a lot of things. I get that there's the quest for better. Um but in this and this is just one of those things where you you sort of talk about it, you're like okay, you everybody wants to improve, but there has to be something. I love the idea of owning your own swing and I almost think as you're explaining it that you were born a generation too late that in for example the 70s and the 80s there were a lot of guys who had you know whether it was the wobbles or whatever like they they owned their swing they had a swing that was home built or was a little less you know of the hitting every right position or whatever but it, it seems like there was more of that stuff about a generation before you came out in turned pro would you agree with that
2: i would completely agree with it and if you look at it i mean Hogan's swing was the model for the the you know this modern golf swing, and you could I don't think you can even argue that his golf swing was home built.
0: Yeah, it's it was and, something, you know I mean, yeah. Yeah. go ahead.
2: He'd tell me who Hogan's instructor was.
0: I, I would assume it's him. I mean, you know he he was yeah, out there. You know practicing. what I mean? I mean that's yeah. the thing
2: is like, what camera did he use? What you know? Which model Trackman did, did Ben Hogan use? Like you know what I mean, like the, you can argue you can't even argue that his coach swing was home built. Mm-hmm. He was the foundation of the modern golf swing and Sam Sneed, you know Sam Sneed took it inside and came over the top, but he was gifted with this unbelievable rhythm that made it beautiful. and he got into the positions that we all try to get into and how his golf swing is home built, Nicholas, you know I mean, he had Jack Grout, but I mean, nobody's modeling after Jack Sling, which which still blows me away to this day. Yeah, well, so like, oh, he has a flying right elbow, and he gets his hands up, and he does this, and it's like the guy was.
0: Your elbow might get a little bit sore after you've won eight, the 18th major. You know, I mean, it's right
2: like, lifting up trophies. Yeah, I mean, you know? <laughs>
0: heavy heavy checks but, and making trips to the accountant. You know, to to cash those checks. Yeah, yeah,
2: exactly. you know.
0: At some point or another,
2: when,
0: when, between the injuries and not playing the golf that that you wanted to play, not reaching the level that that you knew that you probably, did you fall out of love with the game?
2: No. I never fell out of love with the game. I fell out of love with tour life.
0: Interesting. Tell me, tell me about that.
2: Like, I I still love playing golf. I absolutely love playing golf. Like I played last weekend. Like I'm calling these my majors. Mm Mm-hmm. But you know, like with my wife and we have two kids and like I this is my line that I always use. It's like I will always love my wife, but I actually still like her. (laughs) You know what I mean? If you think about that, I totally get it. it.
0: (laughs) I totally get it. And
2: I love being home and I don't want to look back and have my kids look at me and go, Hey dad, thanks for stopping by.
0: Yeah. It's it's a big part and I think it hits everybody differently. I've got two myself and um, I travel for work. I don't travel like a PGA tour pro, but I also don't aspire to do that. I know guys who are in the writing business who are out three or four day, three or four weeks a month, and they're really good guys and they put a lot of hard work in. And I wonder if they even remember their home address, you know, let alone kids' names yeah. and birthdays and, you know, school plays and all the stuff that's the, it's cliche. You don't get those times back. It doesn't come back. And, okay. uh, it sounds like you, that that, right. that was the stuff that you really wanted to make sure that you didn't miss.
1: Yeah,
2: and that's why I admired Jack so much, and and Phil and Tiger was you know like they don't they, Phil especially like he will sacrifice time playing to go be with his kids mm-hmm. you know Phil flying back and forth across country from Shinnecock to go to his daughter's graduation or whatever she did but um, I'm not saying that it's right or wrong it's just that's just what I you know have chosen to do and. You know, it's, I, I just always kind of felt guilty. It's like, I, I've been on, I've been on the road for two weeks playing and like, I went to see my coach in Vegas and then drove to LA and saw my old friends and, and played, went to San Luis last week and now here at Pebble. And I'm like driving up here as much as I love this place. I'm talking to my wife, I'm like, I just want to come home. Yeah. I miss you guys. Yeah. Like, I'm just not used to, to being here and she's going to fly out this weekend. But you know, like my daughter's sick right now and I can't be there for her and, you know, and, and I think since I've I've been home more often, I've actually kind of, my wife will admit this, I don't even feel bad about saying it, I've become the preferred parent. <laughs> you know, because I was always the good-time dad, you know, it's like when I came home, it's like, hey, we're going to Disneyland, are we going to do this? Gonna we're gonna, we're you're going to compensate for not having been there, time. sure. Right, and my wife's always kind of had to been like, do your homework, and I'm like, hey, let's go to Disneyland, you know, <laughs> just, so... But it's just so much nicer to be home and I just I, I'm just always been kind of a quiet homebody and I mean all the way back to my college days. That's why I left Arizona. But um
0: So I read a couple of years ago that you had you got into the insurance business, which basically created an opportunity for you to be sort of more of a stay at home guy. Are you still involved with that?
2: Yes, yeah, we still have a company. Um I always thought it was adorable that people thought I did it. But um <laughs> My wife does it. I was just—I always tell her I'm just a male model, which is the <laughs> irony of that is just unbelievable. Oh yeah. But, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, she, she's the she's the smart one. She knows what she's doing. If you know, if anybody calls and like, hey, can you help me with this? I'm like, here's her number. Yeah. You go. You don't want me helping. I have my license and everything, but she's she's the smart one. She knows what she's doing. I'm just. Well, no, you, picked, kind of
0: a, you picked up another job, which I want to ask you about. Explain to people who may not be aware of what you're doing now with the USGA.
2: I um, I am senior director of player relations for the USGA, and it's been incredible. It's,
0: so what what, what what are uh, some we'll of your pick, duties in that job? Because it's it's a sweet title, which means you probably got a business card. I'm guessing the over under probably on Blue Blazers is three. Am I close?
2: You're under. You, you, yeah, I'm under. Um, <laughs> okay. I've got a. I've got a French. I've got a French blue suit. Does that count?
0: Oh, that gets you partial credit because you can split that up, I suppose. But but what what, what is what uh, does that job entail for you?
2: So I'm basically just going around and making sure the players have what they need. Any questions? You know, if I don't know the answer, I know somebody who does. Mm-hmm. So let's just let's just nip all this stuff in the bud and let's get you the answers you want. And, you know, especially when it came to rules or something like that, but it's always kind of gone back to course setup about the U.S. Open. And um, I was heavily involved on the team this year at Pebble Beach with yep. U.S. Open setup. And, and um, you know, I just I, I w- I want to be there for, for questions for players regarding the USGA. I mean, let, let's get these questions answered. Let's not go to Twitter. Like, most of the stuff that we can handle it's super easy. Let's yeah. just. I, I'm I'm here for the players, as a player representing the USGA. So I kind of get the inside scoop as a player, and that's still where I want to stay. I don't, I don't want to be a blue blazer, and and I think that that persona kind of leaving the USGA. I mean, it's a lot younger. Like I was. Super surprised when I walked inside those walls. How young and how like educated everybody was on the game and in life, and and it was I, I was expecting like super stuffy and you know like side of dandruff on the side. It was not like that at all, and I was super.
0: Well, they can use a little bit of help getting the word out about that because I think that you you weren't you wouldn't have been the only one, um, and who who sort of had that predisposition of that that thought is that. The governing body of the game here in the United States is run by people who in some ways were out of touch with the game or certainly weren't currying favor with a lot of the best players who were going to be playing in their national championships. And that was a problem. And there was some tough communication going back and forth. Some people would have thought maybe a lack of communication going back and forth. And I would say this with anybody else, you know, sort of out there, but it's you're you're the perfect person for this job. You know, you may not have won as many majors as Tiger or as Phil Mickelson, um, but you had the respect of everybody out there at Pebble Beach as a former player, um, as somebody who has played U.S. Opens, um, and somebody who was just thought of as a good guy. And I think it was really important for them to put that combination out there because just getting a former player, like if they had gotten somebody – who was 60 or 65 years old as a former player, that person probably wouldn't be as in touch generationally with the players who are out there to be able to talk to somebody like a Justin Thomas, to be able to talk to somebody like a Jim Furyk, to be able to talk to somebody, you know, name any number of players, Bubba Watson and have them know who you are and have them be like, okay, if I tell this guy this, he'll listen and understand. And I'm in some ways, Jason shocked that that role didn't already exist, but Thank heaven it does now.
2: Well, I think it existed, but it was so spread thin. Like, there were people in communications that that had contact with players. There was, you know, my contact was Jeff Hall, who was the, the managing director of championships, right. but he was also my Walker Cup manager. So I would known Jeff. Like, I had a guy. I had a guy with his finger on the pulse. And if ever I had a question, I'd call Jeff, and he'd always answer. And, you know, and, and it'd be like, Jeff, what are you guys doing? And he'd explain and be like, yeah. Okay. I get it. Like, all right. I just didn't see it from that, that angle, but, right. um, I just think it was so widespread. Like there wasn't somebody there to handle it. It was always kind of, you know, it was a mosh pit of places to go and people to talk to. So, you know, that's kind of my role now is I want them to know. And yes, I do. I do have very nice business cards, by the way. I bet they're um, <laughs> sweet.
0: I bet they're sweet. I've, been thinking one of those shiny, like, I've never had one in my life. One of those shiny card cases that makes you feel like even better about yourself. You're walking around with like a little a card case next to your wallet. Was was Pebble Beach the, the perfect split. place for you to break into Pleather this job? I mean, I would imagine that with your familiarity with that golf course in the area, um, it's also in my opinion the best place to hold the US Open, bar none. I think Pebble is is the is the best spot. Um, but that seemed to me to be a perfect place for you to get that first run in through the job, would you would you agree?
2: Well, yeah. I mean, it was a great place because you know Mike Davis, you know, relinquished his U.S. Open setup duties, and it's now John Bodenhammer who does it, mm-hmm. and Jeff Hall, and you know a few other teams, a few other people from the teams that you know Ben Kimball from the U.S. Amateur and Shannon Ruyard from um, the Women's Open. So we had kind of everybody was in there, but it was kind of Jeff, John, and I that were. The mainstays and Nick Price was there a little bit, who's on our, who's on our, you know, executive committee who, you know, obviously knows a little bit about golf. He
0: knows um, a few things. Yeah.
2: Considering so he was number one in the world for a long, long time, <laughs> multiple major champion. But, um, you know, I, I know Pebble just from all the years I've played at AT&T and Calam and all mm-hmm. this stuff. And, you know, this tournament here this week that when I went out on the team with them, I went out as a fully upset. USGA hating tour player and that was that was kind of my attitude it wasn't you know physically my attitude but I, I just wanted to look at something to where I had a different set of lenses that I was looking through as mm-hmm. a player and and when I walked up and looked at the whole locations what sent the red flag up mm-hmm. and there was a few that I looked at they're like
1: eh,
2: you know I, I don't know about this but you know you only need it doesn't matter if you have 71 unbelievable hole locations. You have one.
0: It's a problem. Especially
2: when it comes to the USGA unfairly. Um, you know, because the tour does it. I mean, they're human beings doing it. Sometimes you just, you know, things aren't the way yeah, it's planned. Yeah. It's all good intentions. But, but, the, but the US um, Open is
0: going to get scrutinized more than any other event on the schedule.
2: Yes. man. I know, I'm still trying to figure out why that is. But, you know, it is what it is. It's true. So I just walked out there and looked at him and said, No, you can't do that. Well, why? Because this, this X, Y, Z. You know, and then they're like, well, okay, I see that. But, you know, and then you have to kind of, like, state your case. It's like, well, you know, this is, if the player sees this, this is what he's going to do. And, okay, like, I get it. Like, yeah, the whole location's great, but it looks squeezed over here. You know, so it was just kind of like, let's soften it up. Let's not make the whole location's. The story of the event. Let's make it about the players. Right. Let's let the best player win, and kind of basically, let's not get caught with our pants down. Everybody, we all went in this together, and we all bought in. And, and you know, the, the score was thirteen hundred, but Gary played amazing. There was great shots coming down the stretch. There was drama, and there was no wind.
0: Well, I mean, there was so, no wind, and, know, and and you're obviously at that time of year. The the course conditions were such that it was as vulnerable Pebble Beach as you're going to see in June I could care less about the score you know I, I I know that I had some people who I'm friends with who were saying like oh this isn't a U.S. Open Pebble setup what's with all these birdies and and I've said this before I, I could care less I mean if guys get good shots they get rewarded if they had an okay shot at a U.S. Open that shouldn't be good enough and I don't think it was good enough because there were certainly guys that shot the moon at Pebble Beach um yeah but but and, and go ahead I'm sorry
1: no,
2: and I was just going to say, like, I've got a the theory, and especially if it's, you know, with the equipment and the talent and the youth of these players now, you can't stop a great player from hitting a great shot unless you do something unnecessary. Especially if these guys drive in the fairway, and they are so good now that they're going to shoot a flag. So tempt them to shoot at flags and tempt them to do something
0: mm-hmm.
2: stupid
1: well
0: I guess, you t- know, like, tempt them you know on all sincere I mean, tempt them to do what you know firsthand which is they might go 30, 30 feet to the right and and deeper but if they get a little bit frisky and start going for too much and don't pull it off the punishment can be severe and I think that's what everybody's looking for with us open is that yeah. great shots deserve to be rewarded I don't think that it's fair to get things and nobody wants to see these historically significant golf courses get tricked out or go over the top. And maybe that was why, was there a feeling of, of hypersensitivity on the, on you, your part or in the group's part as you're setting up pebble beach coming off of Shinnecock? It's like, we, we can't, we, we got to get this one right. That if we're going to make a mistake, we're going to make a mistake on the side of playability rather than taking things too far. Was that even, was there something that was actually said to that effect?
2: No, not not necessarily. I mean, we knew we had to get it right, but Shenecock really wasn't in the back of our minds. It it was kind of let's let's set this up correctly, let's do this right, Mm -hmm. and let's not make this about the USGA and course setup. Let let's let the guys play golf, and whoever plays the best is going to win. And you know, like there was a there was a bunch of factors that were involved in Pebble, and that was. All the way down to the condition of the golf course. I mean, if you look back at 2010 and look at the greens in 2010 and 2000 when Tiger won, and I mean, those greens were amazing. Chris Dolhamer and his group, like at Pebble, they, those greens were stupid good. And you know, you didn't have to. The, the big thing was oh, the polana, and yet, but the, that was not a factor. But Shinnecock, you know, Shinnecock kind of went awry. And I think the big thing was, is let's just not get caught with our pants down. What happens if the wind kicks up and the greens start to get firm and out of hand? Let's at least make it playable. So you might get an extra birdie here and there because, you know, the greens
0: Who cares? weren't
2: as firm as if, if, you know, if the sun came out and the wind kicked up, which can at Pebble, mm-hmm. we all know that. Sure. Um, you know, let's just not, let's make it, let's make this playable no matter what. And let's make it difficult, but let's make it to the point where you're going to start tempting some guys into being more aggressive, and then, and then you know, see what happens. I, I you know I, I think about 15, we were back there, and they put the pin back left. We started off where 2010 all locations were. Yep. And I just remember like looking. I was so far back left. I don't know if you're familiar with that green. Oh yeah. I kind of got this little tiny, you know,
1: I like would yeah. where you want. Yeah.
2: Yeah. There's a little tiny shelf that. It's a great hole location, and it's it's you know it's it's got enough it's got enough slope, but not too much. And I walk back, and I'm like, "Look at that! Like you can't see it. Like you can't see where you're hitting it." And I said, "If I'm playing this hole, I'm going to hit it 20 feet right and short, and I'm just going to try to two pot or make a uh, make an uphill right to left 20 footer." They're like, "Well, yeah," and I said, "If you move it out here, now you can see it. Now you're going to start tempting guys to shoot for it." Mm-hmm. It softens it, but it also makes it a little bit more daring. Listen, it's here, and you've got wedge or nine iron in your hand. Take a shot at it.
0: It's not an unreasonable and, request you know, to be to, to go for that shot or to be tempted by that shot with wedge yeah, nine like, iron.
2: You're, you're, it, it, it's so tempting that you like, all right, I'm going to do it. And you got a little wind off the off the, off the left, that you know if you kind of try to turn down a little nine iron or wedge. It's just And you're really busy. And I just thought that that maybe that was one of the things. Like you know, if you tempt them a little bit more to try to do something, because you can you can put a whole location there that's so hard that you're just going to hit it 20 feet right. It's like the Pinehurst scenario I told you earlier. And well, and
0: as they, you're they, as they you're they describing middle, all this, I'm
2: center the green and put
0: up. Yeah, as as you're describing all this, it's it's all flashing back to me. So what what if anything do you know about winged foot? And is it basically going to I'm I'm hoping because you're you're getting me excited, but I'm hoping it's the same. Philosophy with the course set up at Wingfoot, which is arguably a more stern golf course. I think it's a harder golf course. I'm not saying it's better or worse, but it seems to me that it's a sterner test than than Pebble Beach. What are your thoughts about that?
2: There's no question. I mean, Wingfoot's just hard. Yeah, Wingfoot's hard today. I mean, granted, it's cold, but you know, Wingfoot was hard six weeks ago when there was no rough and the greens were you know not running it. Twelve or thirty, you know when. Yeah, but and that—that's the thing of like when I was at Pinehurst. The I was, I was at Pinehurst for eight days of the U.S. Amateur. These guys are coming off and they're like, "Wow!" I'm like, "Yeah, Pinehurst is just hard. It's just a difficult golf course. I don't care what conditions. Yeah, I don't care if they put a dome over it. It's just hard. And Wingfoot's just hard. I mean, if you look at Pebble, and you know, I'm a huge fan of Pebble, but you've got eight, seven wedges.
1: Yeah. yeah.
2: you have a legend. I want your short irons, you know, sevens, you know, all the all the holes that have wedges into it. And Wingfoot's going to be long. It's going to be tough, but we're going to let Wingfoot be Wingfoot, and I'm not going to do anything out I think of the ordinary. A, I, if you I, grab it in the spare yeah. way, you're going to have a shot.
0: I think that's one of the huge opportunities for the USGA to take advantage of is that. The variety of the golf courses that we have here in the United States, the championship-level courses, um, is something that we should celebrate and really try and respect. Um, when you think about Open Championship Rota courses, St. Andrews, Turnberry, we're ne- next year we're going back to uh, Royal St. George. Obviously, the, the, the vast majority are these links Seaside courses. Weather is the predominant defense for the courses. Um, they're getting longer like every place else, but but length isn't usually the issue. In the U.S., we have so much variety. You can go from Pebble Beach to wingfoot to Pinehurst. Um, there are you know half dozen of these golf yeah. courses that that all have a different character to them, and to let them let that character come out without putting a, a you know sort of the, the USGA's or whoever is sort of running the, their stamp on that golf course. You know that we must have eight inch rough here, that the the greens must be rolling to fifteen over there. These courses, I can tell you, as somebody who you know, has basically played the, in golf in the Met section for the last twenty to twenty-five years. They, they're good enough. You're right. You could go today, you know, in November to Wingfoot, and that would be a hard golf course. It would be a brute, and there isn't much that yeah. needs to happen. And, and that's just. I just want the USGA the basically to basically uh, yeah, just to to yeah, it just to see to see the USGA just sort of like okay, some golf courses you know what 1 under or even par is going to definitely be in the mix and, and has a good chance to win Pebble Beach with the way technology is with the way the players are the way that the golf course is set up and if we catch it on a no wind year yeah 12 or 15 under par is totally on the table and that's fine it is what it is as they say
2: right and and you know you just let it play yeah you just let Wingfoot be Wingfoot and don't do anything with the whole locations. I mean, you know, John Roms said something to me, and I, I'm kind of jumping, just just bear with me here. John yeah. Roms said something to me at the PGA this year that really stuck out, and I'm like, that is a brilliant statement. It's so simple. He goes, you know what? I just want to play the U.S. Open that I grew up watching.
0: Yeah, I'm all and for I look, that. And I
2: looked at him, I go, well, I go, well, what do you mean? He goes, I want tight fairways, I want rough, I want to make it a premium on shot making. I'm like, you're right. And that's, where, that's what's happening. There's not going to be any goofiness. It's just going to be a difficult golf course. We're going to go. So what I like to say is the cathedrals of American golf. Yeah. We're going to go to these unbelievable golf courses. And we're going to let you play golf. We're going to set it up the way U.S. Open should be set up. And we're not going to do anything crazy with the whole locations, but we're gonna, it's going to be tough. But you're going to have to play good golf. And you're going to get rewarded for playing good golf. And if you, if you don't play good golf, well, you're going to be busy. You're going to have some fun. Well, you know, well maybe not fun, but
0: it, it'll be, it'll be uh, something. It'll
2: it's, be, it's going to be, it's going to be tough. And that, that's okay. That's what everybody to a T has said the same thing. And it, it'll I'm be, a, I'm a big fan. If I, I think it's,
0: want. I think you are exactly the kind of person, exactly the kind of influence. And that's the philosophy that the U S open needs. Um, I'm not going to shy away, and I've been to to a lot of the U.S. Opens in the recent years, and some of those tournaments have been wonderful and, and fantastic, and some of them, unfortunately, um, have come up in my eye a little bit short in some of the areas. And um, I was there following Ian Poulter and Brooks Kepka on Saturday at Shinnecock, and I asked Brooks for his opinion on 15 afterwards, and he said words to the effect of, my mom said, to me, when I was little, if you have no, nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. And uh, that to me was a great showing of restraint on Brooks's part. Um, but the Pebble Beach setup, to your credit, to everybody in Far Hills' credit, was fantastic. I haven't, I've yet to hear anybody say anything other than something glowing about Pebble Beach. I'm really hopeful that we get the exact same thing at Wingfoot. And then going forward, it's sort of a story that's more about our past rather than the present and certainly the future of the U.S. Open. Um, what are you doing for the holidays? I would imagine you're a guy – I bet you're a guy who probably likes to deep fry a turkey. Have you deep fried turkeys? Um,
2: we have. We have. We also blew a fuse box out halfway through and didn't know <laughs> while deep frying a turkey. But mm. we've got everybody coming in to – well, first off, let me go back. Thank you for what you said about the, about the Open. I mean, that's what that's what we want to hear Um, that's what we want to do. We don't want it to be about us. We want it to be about the players. And if we're going to do anything that, that, about the USGA, if we're going to make it about us, we want to make it about, you know, what the USGA does for golf. You know, so Mm -hmm. it's like, let's make this about, about the great message that we try to do. I mean, we're a nonprofit. Every dollar we make has to go back into the game. So, um, that's what we want. We don't want this to be the United States, the USGA open. We want this to be the United States Open and may be about the players and, you know, give them, the, give them the the great test that they want to play in. But um, sorry, I digress.
0: Oh, no. It's, we actually but, ordered, but back to the important. You, you order in? What?
2: We ordered in this year because oh. um, we have a whole group. We have all the California families coming. Her, uh, My mom, Megan's parents, um, her brothers. So we got the whole group coming in. She's like, can I just order it? I'm like, absolutely.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, it's, it's my favorite holiday on the calendar because it doesn't matter what religion you are. It doesn't matter. Nation- it's, 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 we're all here. We all have many things to be thankful for. The food's good. The football is on. Uh, I'm not shoveling snow in new England just yet. Uh, it's an appreciation of life and it's, it's all the good stuff. And you're one of the good guys out there, Jason. I couldn't be happier for you doing what you're doing. You sound good. And uh, I appreciate you giving me a little bit of time. I'm insanely jealous that you're out there at uh, at one of my favorite spots, Spanish Bay. But listen, my friend, I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot for coming on.
2: My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. You're, you're one of the good ones too, man. I appreciate it. Thanks.